Amen. You all may be seated. All right, take out a copy of God's Word or turn on a copy, whichever you prefer, but get to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. Now, if you've got a Bible like mine and you're not sure where Isaiah is, I just kind of do this, split it kind of halfway. All right, you're going to land pretty close to Isaiah. We are, last week we started a new study through the book of Isaiah, and that's where we're going to go. We just finished up the book of John a couple weeks ago, and I said, hey, we're going to start diving into Isaiah. And last week I kind of gave a, an overview, a flyover, and um, now one of the things I said um, about the book of Isaiah, I said it's going to be hard. Anybody remember me saying that? That, that study in the book of Isaiah, there's some, some hard things to hear. Well, um, unfortunately, um, <laughs> out of right out of the box, I got to preach a hard message. Isaiah chapter 1. And so that's where we're going to be today is in Isaiah chapter 1. You know, it's Christmas time. And how many of you know the song by Andy Williams, The Most Wonderful Time of the Year? I love that song, Okay. So I, I looked it up, and I, I just wanted to read the first couple of um, verses. And here's what it says. It says, it's the most wonderful time of the year, with the kids jingle-belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the hap happiest season of all with those holiday greetings and gay happy feelings. When friends come to call, it's the happiest season of all. And then the song continues on and tells us why Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Now, I kind of agree with that, that song. You know, I mean, when, it, when we start getting past, well, now it's to the end of August, we start looking at Christmas. It used to be you get past, you know, Thanksgiving. But Christmas is a great season, isn't it? It just kind of, you know, something happens. But let me ask you. What truly makes Christmas the most wonderful season of all? It's Jesus Christ, okay? I was really hoping for a lot of people on that one. I didn't think that was a trick question, okay? But, but Jesus is the most wonderful, is the reason for why Christmas is the most wonderful season, the most wonderful time of the year. But I want to drill down on that a little more. So we're, class participation time, all right? Why? What is it about Jesus that makes Christmas the most wonderful time of the year? What is it about Jesus? Salvation. Birth. Sacrifice. Those are all correct answers. But what is it about the birth? The sacrifice. What is it about hope? What is it about birth? He came to earth. But what is it about all those things that make Christmas the most wonderful time of the year? I'm stumping you here, aren't I? Why do we have hope? Why did he come to the earth? Deliverance from what? Sin, that, the, the bottom, the, how many of you remember your, your uh, fractions, the least common denominator, okay? You, you just kept drilling down on the fraction until you got to where you couldn't reduce it anymore. 
When you reduce who Jesus is and why he came, when you reduce what the most wonderful, why Christmas is the most wonderful, when you reduce it to the least common denominator, it's one little word, sin. You see, that's why Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says that Jesus came into the world for one reason, to save sinners. Loved ones, listen. If there was no such thing as sin, Jesus would never have come. If humanity wasn't sinners, Jesus would never have had to have come. If we From the very beginning with Adam and Eve, if humanity would have just been obedient and listened to God and followed God and did everything God said, sin never would have been in this world. And Jesus never would have came. Does that make sense? You see, sin is the reason why we have Christmas. And Jesus coming to save sinners is why Christmas is the most glorious and the most wonderful season of all. Now, like I said, we're jumping into Isaiah chapter 1. And and when we look at chapter 1, here's what we're going to see. We're going to look at the first 20 verses And what we're going to see predominantly through those first 20 verses, probably the first 15, is we're going to look at one word. What do you think it is? Sin. Okay? We got to look at what... Because here's the thing. When we see what sin is and what sin does... When we see the real ugliness of sin, we we see what the damage causes is caused by sin. Okay, when we drill down on what sin is and what it does, when we get to the end of these verses, we truly have an understanding and an appreciation of what Jesus did for Christmas. And so we've got to look at the ugliness of sin so we can see the true beauty of Christmas. And so for the next few minutes, for the first few points, I hope you can bear with me. I hope you can open your heart to what Isaiah is saying to the nation of Israel, and we can hear what he's saying for us today. So let's begin by looking at sin and what it does. I know this is, I'm going to be honest, I know this is not a popular Christmas message, okay? Because nobody wants to talk about sin, especially at Christmas. But if you remember Keep it in your mind. We celebrate Christmas because Jesus came to save what? Sinners. That's it. So let's begin and let's look at three things about sin first and what it does. So here's the first thing about sin. Sin deteriorates my devotion. It deteriorates my devotion. So let's begin there in verse 1. It says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amaz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. 
Now remember, I talked about this last week, and remember I said that um, Isaiah is a prophet of God. And from Isaiah all the way through Malachi, you have different prophets. And these prophets, God spoke to. And he either spoke to them one of two ways, usually. Directly, where they heard the voice of God, and he said, here's what I need you to say, or through visions. And Isaiah is having a vision, all right? And, and so Isaiah has a vision of what God's going to do, but he also hears what God's going to say. And so here Isaiah is getting this message from God. And, and these prophets, these different prophets, when they hear, heard from God, it wasn't for them to go, oh, okay, I got that, God. It was for them to take the message of God and give it to the people. And that's what he's doing here. He's giving a message to a group of people. Now, if you look at verse 2, he says, Oh, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Now, when he says, hear, O heavens, and hear, and, li- and, and give ear, or listen, O earth, he's just making a declaration. He's like, man, he's like, everybody I'm talking to, listen up. And, and when he talks about hearing and listening, what he's talking about there is not just hear it with one ear and let it what? Go out the other. He says, hear it with your ears, but listen with your heart. He's talking about hearing it and heeding it. Hear what I'm saying, but let it transform you. Let it do something inside you. And notice he says, for the Lord has spoken. That's key, gang. Isaiah is not saying, hey, this is what I think. Here's what I feel. Here's what I believe. It's not about Isaiah. Everybody say, it's not about Isaiah. It's not about Isaiah. Who's it about? It's about God and what he has said. And so Isaiah is simply um, the messenger. And how many of you know, don't kill the messenger, right? But so many times that's what happened. And so Isaiah is simply the messenger of God, and he is giving the very word of God. Now, let me ask you, does that just apply to Isaiah and Israel? No. And here's why. Because in the Old Testament, the prophets spoke primarily to the Israelites. That's what their message was for. All right. They didn't really speak to other nations. It was primarily 95% of the time always to Israel. But then when you get to Jesus and then you get to the church, something shifted because salvation and, 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 and the people of God wasn't just about the Jews. It was the Jews and everybody else, Gentiles, the world. So here's what happens. So after Christ, The church starts, the gospel is now given. The gospel, the good news of what Jesus did. And when you and I come to that place where you put your faith in Christ, you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe that he died on a cross for your sin, and you realize you're a sinner, and you confess your sin, you say, Jesus, forgive me, come into my life and be my savior. In that moment, you are now saved. And when you are saved and you are um, born again spiritually, in that very moment, guess what happens? You become part of the family of God. And when I become part of the family of God, I become a believer in Jesus Christ. Do we just meander through life with no instruction? What do we have? The Bible. God's word. 
The Old Testament was primarily for the Jews. Jesus comes, now we have a New Testament. And now we have apostles that began preaching and teaching and speaking to the church. Guess what we are? The church. And guess what we have? This. So as Isaiah spoke to Israel, hear and listen, O Israel. The Lord has spoken. And he is speaking what God said to him. Guess what is happening today? Whenever you open this up, and whether it's now Old Testament or New Testament, and you begin to read this, you begin to hear it preached, here's the decision you have to make as a believer in Christ. Do I or do I not believe this to be true? Is this or is this not the very word of God? That's the decision I have to make as a believer. That's the decision you have to make as a believer. So if you believe that this is not the very word of God, I'm going to be honest, you're wasting your time than being here because there's no sense in being here. But if you believe that this is the very word of God, Old Testament and New Testament, it's all God, then hear and listen O oh, harvest, the word of God is speaking. God spoke through a man of Isaiah, and I believe, and I hope you believe, that God is speaking through a man through his word today. And so I proclaim as Isaiah, hear and listen, O oh, harvest, the word of God is speaking. And he's speaking today about sin. Now look at verse 3. Or actually the, the end of verse 2. Let's start with there. He says, Children, have I reared you and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. He, he, Isaiah is talking to a group of people, but he calls them children. All right? The children that he's talking to is the nation of Israel. The people of Israel. The people of Israel were considered God's people. All right? And God looked at his people and he, 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 he saw them not just as any other people. He saw them as his. He saw them as his children, as his family. And so, he, and so Isaiah is like, now you got to remember, when he says, thus the Lord has spoken, keep that in mind. As we progress through this, it's not Isaiah speaking. Think of it as if God is speaking to his people. And it's like now God is saying, my children, have I reared you and brought you up? Haven't I done that? But now you have rebelled against me. God's looking at his people, his children, his family. And he's like, man, I raised these kids. And now they're like wandering. That word rebel simply means that the people of Israel, his children, made a decision. They no longer wanted to follow the ways of God. They no longer wanted to hear the ways of God. They no longer wanted to obey the ways of God. And through idolatry and disobedience, guess what they did? They turned from the ways of God and began to follow the ways of the culture. And instead of allowing the influence of God to affect them, now the nation of Israel is allowing the, the effect and the influence of the culture to affect them. And instead of the, these people looking like their heavenly father, 
They're looking like the culture, acting like the culture, believing the culture, accepting the culture. And God is saying, that's rebellion. That is sin. Now, here's the parallel for you and I in this. Isaiah, like I said, he's speaking to Jewish people thousands of years ago. But when you and I become a believer in Jesus Christ, after Jesus lived, died, resurrected, and ascended, and he started the church, the church becomes the new covenant, the New Testament believers. And here's the thing. This, the, the people of Isaiah was God's family. But when you and I become a believer in Christ, you are engrafted into that vine. You are adopted into the family of God. So not only are the Jewish people the family of God, hey, guess who else is now if you're a believer in Christ? Do this. You're, as a believer in Christ, I'm a Christian, Jim. I believe in Jesus. Then you are a family. You belong to the family of God. You are his child, all right? And so as God is speaking to his children here, about their sin, guess what God does to his children today? He still speaks. Because let me ask you, um, does, is sin the same in any generation? Sin is sin, isn't it? Was sin in 700 years BC the same as in 2023 AD? Sin is sin. Doesn't matter when you lived, it doesn't matter where you live. Sin is sin. And as God spoke to his children 700 years before Christ about their sin, guess what he does today for his children 2,000 years after Christ? He still talks to us about our sin. It wasn't like God was looking at the people of Israel back then and going, man, they're sinful people. And he looks at us today and goes, oh, I really don't care. Sin is still sin. And he's talking to his children. Now look at verse 3. It says, the ox knows its owner, because now this is the effect of the sin. He says, the ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know, and my people do not understand. God is looking at his people, and he, he's now comparing them to animals. He's like, an ox knows his owner. A donkey knows where they're, this, but, but you don't know me any longer. He, he, he's, like, he's like, how can an animal know his owner, but you don't know your father? And he's basically saying that the people of Israel, his children, have become so saturated with the culture. They become so much like the culture. They act like the culture, behave like the culture, talk like the culture. Everything's about that. They look so much like the pagan people around them that they have lost what they look like. You see, that word no, it actually has a sense of recognizing the Lord and being closely acquainted with him. To understand means to see with insight, to pay attention. And God is like, you are so much like the culture. You've taken on the, the practices of the culture so much, you don't pay attention to me anymore. You don't know me anymore. The 
The sad reality is, and this is, again, the parallel for you and I today. Sin deteriorates our devotion. The, the, the devotion of Israel to God deteriorated so much that they began to look too much like the culture. And it's no different for us today. We can, we can allow our sin deteriorate our devotion to the point of that we become like, we act like, we agree with, we take on the practices of the culture more than our Heavenly Father. You see, the Bible makes it very clear that we are to be in the world, but not of it. We are to love the world, but not to become like it. We are to engage the world, but not take on its practices. We are to love sinners. We are to welcome sinners. But we are not to accept and condone the behavior. This is where it gets hard, gang. The reality is, we see this in churches today, in Christians today. Churches and Christians alike are looking like, acting like, and accepting the behavior of the culture over God's word. Mainline denominations are, are, are agreeing with accepting and becoming like and saying the culture is right with certain lifestyles. And we are, what we're saying is, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm not, I'm not going to speak in riddles. We want to love and accept the LGBTQ community. We want to love people like that but we cannot become like that. And what is happening is that we have the church, God's people, God's family. 2,700 years after Isaiah said this to Israel, acting and doing the same thing. We are, what we're doing is the churches are saying, oh, let's have our pastors be part of that community. Let's let our church leaders be part of that community. And what is happening is that churches are not just saying, hey, we welcome these people, but what we're saying is the lifestyle is not sin. And it's okay. It's acceptable. And we're welcoming it not just the people to show them the love of Christ, to show them the, the, the gospel of Christ, but to embrace that in the church. That is what Isaiah is talking about to the nation of Israel. They, were, they knew what God, God's word said. They knew the truth, but they rejected that truth and they took on and became like the culture. And God is saying that is wrong. 
And loved ones, we, this is why you and I have got to settle it in our heart. Do I or do I not believe this to be the very word of God? Because if I do, then either God is truth or God is a liar. And if God is truth, then as churches, as Christians, we have to acknowledge what God says is right and truthful. The other night, I was talking to the elders about my message a little bit and where, where I was thinking of going and, and, and everything. And we started talking about the condition of churches. And, and we made this declaration. And I'm making it to you. And we said this, it doesn't matter if all the churches around us, every single one of them, make the decision to say we are going to accept what the, the culture says. We are going to agree with what the culture says. We are going to take on the practices of the culture more than what the Bible tells us to do. And we're going to believe what the culture says over what the word of God says. And as elders, we have made this declaration. We are saying that we, like Joshua made the declaration, Joshua said, as far as me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And as elders, we are saying, as elders and as a church, we will serve the Lord. We are going to keep, we are going to believe that the Bible is the truth. Because here's why. Paul tells us this truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says this to, to Timothy. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And here's why. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having, having itching ears, they will accumulate to themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. Loved ones, as elders, we're going to protect this church. And we're going to preach the word. And here's Some of you will not like that. And some of you, as people have already done, will say, like they said to Jesus, it's too we got to go somewhere else. Loved ones, we believe the word to be the word. And we got to preach it. And we got to teach it. And we got to stand on it. Because God is God, whether it was in Isaiah's day or it's in our day. And his word rings true, whether it was in Isaiah's day or in our day. And the reality is, when we allow sin, unconfessed sin, to go unchecked, when we allow our sin to go unconfessed, and we just keep going in it and living in it and not worrying about it, that sin will deteriorate my devotion. Here's the second thing. The second thing about sin is this. Sin disrupts my relationship. This really kind of goes in line with the first one. But it will, my sin will disrupt my relationship with God. Look at verse 4. He says, Ah, sinful nation, 
a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. Anybody agree with me that um, Isaiah is not really user-friendly? He's not really like, well, I don't want to upset someone today. He, he, just, he just doesn't mince words. But how many of you know, like I said, he's not, this is not Isaiah speaking, is it? God is saying this about his people. He goes on, he says, they have forsaken the Lord. That word forsaken means to leave behind, to let go. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. That word despise means to treat disrespectfully. And the way they treated the Lord disrespectfully was they ignored him. They left him and started chasing the culture. They, the disrespect came when they're like, we want to be like the culture and, 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 and behave like that versus acting and behaving like our heavenly father. And then he goes on and here's, here's where it really gets to it. They are utterly estranged. They're like, they're like strangers to me. There's no relationship anymore. They're, 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 there's, what's happened? Guys, that's what our sin does. When you and I, and now here's the thing. I've said this before. The Bible makes it very clear. We're all sinners, right? First John makes it very clear. Listen, you're going to sin, all right? And that's the good news is that First John says, he goes, I write this so you won't sin, but if you do sin, we have one, Jesus Christ, who goes on our behalf as a mediator to our Heavenly Father. Okay, so we're going to mess up. We're not perfect. But here's the problem. Here's where the problem was with the, with the people of Israel. Not only were they living in their sin, they, they kept living in it. They, they didn't want to acknowledge it. They didn't want to agree with God. They just like, ah, I don't care. And they kept unconfessed. Just, I don't care. This is the way I want to live. And don't tell me differently. And, and, and Isaiah is saying, they were ashamed of God because they weren't, even, they weren't even devoting themselves to God. There was no devotion to God. There was no intimacy with God. That's what our sin does, gang. When you and I choose to sin, when we choose to just let our sin go unconfessed, you know, just not even dealing with it, your devotion, your intimacy, your relationship with God. It doesn't mean that you like, well, you're no longer a Christian going to hell. But what that means is this. You're not fired up for God. Your devotion to God is very weak. Your, your intimacy with Christ is dulled. Because think about this. When, when we are living in unconfessed sin, we're just I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know I shouldn't be acting this way, behaving this way, talking this way, but I'm doing it anyway. Let me ask you, how, 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 how just fired up are you about being in God's word? A lot of times when we're living in, in sin, God's word is the last thing we want to be in. And here's why. Because when we get into God's word, guess what it's going to do? It's going to convict us. And so we shut it off. We, we leave it behind. And that's where our, our, our intimacy of wanting to worship Christ starts to dwindle. I'm here. I'm not. I don't want to go to church today. Why? Who wants to worship Christ when I'm walking in sin? Nobody. See, this is why we got to deal with it. This is why we got to recognize it, acknowledge it, be real with it. Because when we're not real about our sin, we're not willing to confess it. We're not willing to deal with it. The reality is, is that my relationship with Christ 
It's going to be disrupted. It's not going to be the same. That closeness, that intimacy with Jesus isn't there. Here's the third thing. Sin deepens my suffering. Sin will deepen my suffering. Look at verse 5. God says to his people, he says, Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. God's looking at the nation of Israel, and he's, again, comparing comparing them like as if they are diseased. They're sick. Or as if they had been beaten up and left for dead. He's like, why, why are you allowing yourself to be like this? Why? And, and the sickness they're suffering is what? Sin. Sin is a sickness. It's a cancer. Sin, when we, again, when we allow it to go unchecked, when we just look at my lifestyle, we make our look at our choices and we're just like, I just don't care. And we're not dealing, we're not confessing it. I'm telling you, it is as if you and I have a sickness. We're diseased. You see, on the outside, I, the nation of Israel was prospering. And everybody would have looked at Israel and like, wow, they got it together, look at them. But in God's eyes, they were sick, diseased. And he's like, why? Why are you continuing to rebel? Why are you continuing to live in the sin? He's like, the whole body is sick. It's run down. Something's wrong with it. Even in verse 7, he says, your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land and is desolate and overthrown by foreigners. It's like as if God is saying this is, going, this is actually a prophecy that's going to fulfill in Israel. The Assyrian army will come in and lay waste to them because of their unwillingness to turn from their sin. What this is showing us is, is that sin... Sin deepens our suffering. The reality is this. Um, when you and I make a decision, how many of you know following God and his word is a, is a choice, isn't it? We can either choose to do it or not, all right? We can choose to sin or not. And, and, and what God is showing us here is this. When you and I choose to sin, when we choose to ignore the Bible, when we choose to ignore God's word, when we choose to do life according to our terms, Well, I know that's what God says, but I don't care. I'm going to do what I say. The reality is the chances of messing up our life is what? Pretty good, okay? Because God God has has put parameters in place. You know, it's interesting. Some people will say, well, you know, the Bible is so restrictive. I, I I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to go to church because, you know, there's too many do's and don'ts in the Bible. God says, don't do this, do this, don't do that, do this, and act this way, don't act that way. It's a, it's a real bummer. They think that God's trying to rain on their parade. 
They're trying that God just wanted to take fun out of life. So you know what? Thank you, but no thank you. I want to do life on my own terms. I'm going to live how I want, act how I want, talk how I want. So don't tell me differently. Okay? Well, here's the thing. In the Bible, sin's restrictions is God's protection. Sin's restrictions is God's protection. You got to understand that when you read the Bible, when you read, when God says, hey, don't act this way, don't do that, don't behave like that, don't make choices like that, act this way, talk this way, do this, don't do that. It isn't because God is trying to make your life like no fun. It is because he's trying to protect you. Think of a family that has a and above a swimming pool in their backyard. And that family has three kids. A 12-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a toddler. The 12-year-old and the 6-year-old know how to swim. But the 1-year-old does not. Let me ask you. Does that family put a fence up around that pool? Do they put a lock and a, and, and a latch on the gate so that toddler cannot get in there? Now, do they do that? Does that family put that fence around the pool and put the gate up there and lock it just because they're like, well, we don't want the toddler to have fun. We're just going to rain on his parade. Or are they saying, we love our toddler too much to let him just have free reign because we know if he gets in there, he'll, he'll drown. It's not because they don't want that toddler to have fun. It's because they don't want that toddler to be injured or to die. God says the do's and the don'ts. Act this way. Don't act that way. Behave this way. Don't behave that way. Talk like this. Don't say those kind of things. Not because he's trying to rain on your parade, but because he knows if you decide to do life on your own, you're going to mess it up. He's doing it because he loves us. He does says those things out of his protection. It's when you and I believe that God doesn't know what he's talking about. It's when you and I make the decision to say, I know better. God doesn't. I'm going to live my life on my own terms, do what I want, say what I want, act how I want. And we reap the consequences. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, he says, um, you will reap what you sow. If you reap from the flesh, from that you will sow. You, if you sow to the flesh, from the flesh you'll reap it. In fact, if you just look down at verse 19 in our text, Isaiah writes, he says, If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. You see, our choices, if we, whether we like it or not, our choices have consequences, good or bad. And the more you and I make decisions to, to live our life according to self, the more we decide, well, I, I see what God says in his word, but I really don't want to do that. I, I don't want to act that way. I, I want We reap the consequences of our actions, good or bad. And the reality is God wants us to, to experience his blessing he wants us to experience good consequences, and the way that happens is when we open up his word, and we read it, and we study it, we hear it, and we heed it. 
Now, again, does that mean you're going to be perfect? No, absolutely not. But the idea is, is that I'm just not making the decision to say, I don't care if I'm going to do what I want. It's when you and I make that decision to do whatever we want that our suffering is going to be deepened. Here's the fourth thing. Sin degrades my religious activity. It degrades my religious activity. Now look at verse 10. It says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Now he's comparing Israel. I mean, he compared them to animals. Now he's comparing them to Sodom and Gomorrah. This is how wicked and how bad the nation of Israel had become. But you notice he says, hear the word of the Lord. And he goes on, give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. You see, he keeps going back to this. It's about the word of God. It's about what God has to say. Hey, this is what God said. It's not about what, what, what I have to say. I can get up here and tell you all kinds of stuff. It's not about what I have to say. It's not about what you say. It's about what God says. And that's what he keeps going. He's like, hear my word, gang. Hear what I've had to say. Here's what I've said. Listen to it. Heed it. And then in verse 11, he goes on. He says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat, well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you the, this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings, incense and abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocations. I cannot inquire, I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. You see, here's what was happening. On the outside, these people were very um, rebellious, but in their mind, we're still very religious. And on the outside, they had all the religious activity going on. They were, they were offering sacrifices. They were saying their prayers. They were observing holidays. They were observing the Sabbath. They were doing all the stuff. But here's the problem. God is not concerned with the outside. Where is he concerned? The inside, the heart. He's like, God is just saying to these people, look, all of your activity means nothing. Because your heart is far from me. He's like, all your activity is just, it's, it's, it's graded, it's, 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 it's spoiled, it's, it's, it's rotten because of your sin. Again, we're not perfect. He's not saying you can't, you've got to be sinless. But the idea is that we are sinning less. The Jews were not doing that. Israel was not doing that. They didn't care what God said, and they just lived how they wanted. And God's like, look, you can be religious all day long, but it doesn't matter. And there are people in the church today, there are Christians today, people who's I'm a Christian, and they're a Christian on Sunday. Well, I go to church, and I, I do my churchy stuff, but Monday through Saturday, I act like the world. I talk like the world, I behave like the world, I live like the world, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want and live how I want, but then I go to church on Sunday and I get all churchy. It doesn't mean anything. Again, it's not to say you and I are going to be perfect, 
But if you and I, from, set from, from Monday to Saturday, live like the world, act like the world, behave like the culture, act, live like, sound like the culture, don't, I mean, I don't even put God in, in, in the picture during the week. But then I go to church on Sunday and I sing my songs and I put my church clothes on and put my churchy face on. Do you think God is sitting there going, oh, that just pleases me? No. What pleases God is Isaiah, or I mean, from Psalm chapter 51. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. What that means is this. When you and I sin, and the Holy Spirit prompts you about it, the Holy Spirit convicts you about it, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart is this. I see it. I recognize it. I acknowledge it. I confess it. And God, forgive me. That's what God wants. And then all the, of the religious activity falls in line with that. I'm going to just call myself out this week. We got a great dame. And um, she's 150 pounds. And she's a beast. And... She's about eight years old, and, and I call it that she's getting a, a granny bladder because she's not able to hold her bladder very well now. And, and you know, I'm looking at, man, let's go buy some Depends and stick those things on her. Well, the problem with a Great Dane having a, 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 a bladder that doesn't want to, you know, stay tight is um, she will be sleeping and she'll just pee. 150-pound Great Dane bladder, hold So we've done things to make sure our couches don't get ruined or whatever. And so, so late, so the past couple of weeks, she seemed to be doing better. And then I don't know, when was it, Monday or Tuesday? She had been on our bed. And, and now on her bedding, we've got these, these uh, rubber like pee things that, that will, will protect everything. We put that on her bed and if she gets on her couch, we'll put those on the couch. And they work. But I was under the influence. Oh, she's doing better. You know, we had, we had gotten her some medicine and stuff. She said, she's doing better. Good. So I let her up on her bed, and I came over here to the church. And she had been on her bed all day, and I didn't recognize anything. Until that night, we went to bed. <laughs> Paula, it's on Paula's side. It wasn't mine. So Paula's like, It's wet. And, and we have a blanket on top for her and then our blankets. So Paula rips off her blanket. Our blankets are wet. And thankfully, it did not go to the mattress. But in that moment, frustration overflowed. And, and I got really frustrated. My flesh reacted. And Paula goes, you know what? We're just going to have to go get her some medicine. Well, the problem with that is our dogs prior to our Great Dane, both of them were sick. And we were paying anywhere between $100 and $150 a month for medicine. And we did that for years. Well, as a guy, you're sitting there calculating your head going, oh my gosh, we're spending thousands of dollars on these dogs. So as soon as Paula said, hey, we're going to have to get medicine, I reacted. And I went, absolutely not. I will put that dog down before we get more medicine. I am not going to pay hundreds of dollars for more medicine. And I rolled over and went to sleep. 
on the dry part of the bed. Yes, indeed, Pam. As long as my side's dry, I can go to sleep. Thanks for lightening that up, Pam. But I just rolled over and went to sleep. And got up, and, and I could tell when I, I rolled over, Paula was upset. When we got up in the morning, I could tell she was still upset. But you think, I'm going to deal with it? No! Until I come over here to the church. And I'm in here in the sanctuary praying. Now, do you remember I said one of the first things that happens when we sin is that devotion dries up and who's going to want to pray? I still, I, I began to pray. And here's why we don't pray or read God's word. As I began to pray, it was like God didn't want to hear anything else except for one thing. I broke my wife's heart. And I said things I shouldn't have said. That was the only thing the Holy Spirit was drilling down on. So in that moment, I said, Father, forgive me. I sinned. I sinned against my wife. I, I, I broke her heart. I upset her. And I shouldn't have done that. And I asked for your forgiveness. You see, I dealt with my sin. So then, not only, but I just didn't keep, I had to call her. And I told her, I apologize. Because I broke your heart. And I, 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 I made you sad. I should not have said that. We'll do whatever it takes. And I, boy, that's, that's a big pill to swallow. We'll do whatever it takes to keep her healthy. But I had to deal with my sin. You see, that's what God's talking about here. I could have been up here praying for the church and God, and I could have been, it would, none of it would have mattered until I dealt with my sin. You can be churchy all day long, but if you're not dealing with your sin, your churchiness means really not much. Deal with the sin. Whatever God shows you, if you know I shouldn't be acting like this, I shouldn't behave like this, I shouldn't talk like this, and you know God is in, he's like knocking on your heart about it, and you keep ignoring him, you can come to church and you can do all your churchy stuff, but until you get your heart right, all the outward stuff is really just a charade. You get the heart right, confess the sin, and then you start moving, man. And see what God does. That pleases the heart of God. It's confession. And that's what you and I have got to be doing. And lastly, sin diagnosed requires a prescription. This here is what makes Christmas the most wonderful time of year. The that message is hard, wasn't it? But I'm hoping you can see why we have to see sin because it gets us to here. All right. Now look at verse, um, verse 16. God says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. God's telling them, man, clean yourselves up. Okay. Now, how do we do that, though? Again, Old Testament was now following the law, but you and I are not under the Old Testament law. But how do you and I clean ourselves up? Look at verse 18. Here's where it gets good. God says, come now. Let us reason together. 
God's offering. He, 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 he gives us the solution, the prescription for our sin. And it's this. Come. Come to me. And when it says, let us reason together, it, it, that actually is a, like a, a legal term. It's a court case. It's like you're going to court and you're standing before the judge and you're pleading your cause before the judge. And here's what the judge does. The judge doesn't pass down a sentence. He passes down an acquittal. But the idea is, is that you come before the judge and you plead your wrongness. Judge, I was wrong. And I, I made the mistake and I, I apologize. And, 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 and then the judge goes forgiven. Because look at the rest of the verse. He says, come now, let us reason together. And here it is. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will become like wool. That is the invitation that God gives us. He is telling the, the nation of Israel, just come to me. Man, if you will just come to me and you will just confess that you have lived in sin, if you will confess that what you've been doing is wrong, man, I'm not going to judge you. I am not going to punish you. I am going to forgive you. And I, you are like red as crimson right now. Your sins have made you look so red, you're like scarlet. But you know what? If you will just say, I have been wrong, I will wash you so clean you won't even notice it. You will be so white. You see, that's what happens in Christ. Today, if you are an unbeliever in Jesus Christ, you're still in your sin. And the offer is this, that Jesus Christ came to this earth to die for your sin. And if you will come to the place that you will come to him and confess your sin, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And admit that you need a savior and just say, Jesus, come into my life. The offer is there that he will make you white as snow and wash away all your sin, though you be like scarlet and crimson. And even as believers, as a believer in Christ, you are forgiven of all your sin. You, he has washed your sin away. But how many of you know we still are wrapped in flesh and walking through this life? And we're going to fall down. We're messing up. We're still going to sin. But we don't cheapen the grace of God. And we don't just go, well, I'm already forgiven. I can act like I want. The idea is, as 1 John chapter 1 says, Jesus has forgiven us of all of our sin. But here's the key. John says, but if you say you're without sin, the truth is not in you. Meaning that if you and I know we, we know we're sinners, but we pretend ah, it's not a big deal. I'm not that bad of a sinner. The Bible, John's saying, you're like, you're like the truth's not in you. And that's where he says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he says that, if, but if we will come to, to God, confess our sin. God is faithful and just, and he will forgive you of all your sin and cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness. That's the invitation. So today, if you are a believer in Christ, today, if you say, I am a Christian, today, if you're here and you say, yep, yep, I, I believe in Jesus, and, but yet you are sinning, come. Come to the Father. Deal with your sin. Put the sin away. See it for what it is. See that sin is it's detrimental to you as a believer. 
It deteriorates, it degrades, it destroys, it damages. And the only thing that can repair it all is to come. Confess it. Repent of it. Walk away and say, Father, forgive me. Because when I sin, I'm only sinning against you. And Father, I ask that you would forgive me and cleanse me. And the invitation and the promises is when we come, God cleanses. Don't, don't be afraid that your sin is too bad. Don't be afraid that, well, I've before. No, no, no. It doesn't give any requirements. It doesn't give any, like, well, you can do this 10 times and you're done. He just says, come. Keep coming. You did it yesterday? Come. Oh, you did it again today? Come. Keep coming. Keep confessing. And as long as we keep coming, we keep confessing, guess what he's going to keep doing? Forgiving. Forgiving and forgiving. I know this is a tough message. But I hope you can understand and see why sin is so horrible. And I hope you can understand Christ truly makes Christmas the most wonderful season of all. Amen. Harvest, why don't we all stand? Let me just close us in a word of prayer today. I would just encourage you to just bow your heads. And as I pray, I would encourage you to examine your life. Ask the Holy Spirit, reveal to me, Holy Spirit, is there something in my life that I need to confess? All of us are good at hiding things. I'm good at hiding things. But the reality is we cannot hide it from the Lord. The Lord knows you're going and you're coming. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you to the depth of your being. He knows your sin. And you and I can go on through life pretending it's not a big deal, but it is a big deal to God. And if we are the children of God, if we are his family, if you are a believer in Christ, right now, look at that sin and just say, God, what do I need to do to change this? Lord, I'm going to confess it to you and I'm going to ask that you will cleanse this. But Lord, help me to make some life changes if I have to. So, Father, we thank you that you are always good to us. Lord, we thank you that your word is true. And, Lord, even though when it's hard, sometimes, Father, cancer, the skin has to be cut in order to remove it. And, Lord, sometimes your word has to cut us in order to remove the sin. And so, Lord, today, Holy Spirit, maybe you've been bringing some conviction to people. And maybe they, you've been showing them sin in their life. And maybe today it's time for them to come. Time to come to you and say, Father, forgive me. Lord, let's quit pretending. Help us not to pretend anymore, just to put on a show and keep walking in our sin. Lord, help us, as Acts chapter 3 says, to truly repent and turn to the Lord for times of refreshing from the Lord. And so, Lord, I just pray that this message speaks to our hearts that we would truly hear it and heed it. And we just thank you, Father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Harvest.